Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire. Helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Tractor Zoom delivering insights. And if you're looking for a great place to go and see what's happening in the auction marketplace, man, there's no better place than Tractor Zoom's iron comps. And if you uh, go to that and like what you see at checkout, you can use Moving Iron and you'll get yourself a little discount. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And like usual, he is here for his weekly download of what's going on in the marketplace. So, Sean, how you doing, bud? I'm doing really, really good. I actually am in Iowa today. Uh, and I'm thankful I'm here now versus two weeks ago because this is a little more hospitable to my uh, fragile South Floridian nature. Yeah, so. I, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. <laughs> Well, let's talk about wheat for a while here, Sean. Sean, there's a lot of people looking at wheat right now. And if you take a look at what you read and, and what we see out there, you know, obviously the corn and soybean, what's going to get planted, those kind of things are kind of overshadowing that. But that underlying issue, I think that's going to be a big catapult for the market. It's definitely going to be the wheat market. And we are starting to ease into that, you know, what what is what happened during this uh, this last big shot of, of cold weather in uh in kansas and color kansas colorado um texas oklahoma um what what looked what's that going to look like and we're about 30 to 60 days from really starting to see what that start to look like especially with the weather forecast that we see here for the next 30 days so as you look at the wheat market and all the things that are going around the world with wheat especially in in Europe and especially in uh, the Black Sea region in Russia. What's your thoughts on wheat? Yeah, I, I, I view wheat as, as kind of the calm before the storm. We had this initial breakout on all this winter kill uh, events that took place in Russia and here and even in China. But, you know, what happens winter kill, like you just said, you don't really know for sure, right? I mean, you, you'll, you just speculate and the speculators say, well, we don't know, so we're going to sell off a little bit until we know more. And then you get to you come out of dormancy. And then we start taking a look at the crop conditions. How is the crop coming out of dormancy? And that's where you start to see the evidence um, of what this winter kill event did in these different regions. So the, I think the USDA starts coming out with weekly crop conditions for winter wheat next week or two, mm-hmm. pretty sure. Um, and so that will be pretty important to see, you know, where are they? And, and there's some private outfits 
like the wheat, uh, wheat, wheat board that does a good job with that, that give you real good indication for what took place. And we believe it's going to show that there was some far more significant damage than I think the current market pricing is suggesting. And that's going to be the, the catalyst for the next move higher um, in, in the wheat market because it's going to, it's going to have to dial in the fact that winter, the, the winter kill damage, which is permanent, by the way, when it's there. Um, and then if we go into a warmer, drier spring, it just adds insult to injury. So the next 30 days, we could really see this kind of quiet winter wheat market wake up again after that initial flurry from that historic cold event that we had. Yep. So I'm I'm I've been paying a lot of attention to that. I've been talking to some of my, some of my friends back home in Kansas and, and and just seeing what they're saying and and not too many of them have a very rosy picture to paint, but also too that's there's a lot of. Uh, you want to say that there's there's just a, a lot of animosity i guess as you start looking towards uh what, what all the pressure that we've had uh, the dryness in, in the fall and then here we are now and then had this winter kill event and then we had you know not a lot of moisture in the forecast moving forward here in the spring they're, they're getting a little anxious about that and what that wheat's gonna that wheat market's gonna look like and and you know of course the old saying is everybody wants a drought uh nobody wants a drought everybody wants a drought except for on their farm right and so and i think we might see that this year a little bit yeah, yeah drought's wonderful just not on my farm <laughs> that's right um okay so let's talk about the other the other crop out there that's tied closely to wheat and that's rice so if we do go down this path that we're seeing with wheat and we're starting to see this price come up and you're starting to see more and more movement in in, in the rice marketplace where do you start seeing that equilibrium where on the world marketplace, you know, rice is going to start to outpace wheat and vice versa? Uh, if you look at the wheat price and you look at the rice price, there's been a relationship between one and a half wheat, tra wheat trading, uh, I mean, uh, rice trading at one and a half times wheat versus three times wheat. That means that tells you, so when rice is at one and a half times wheat, it's, it's too cheap, it's ready to outperform, meaning people just say, look, if I have these two important food items that I can feed my family with, at that price differential, rice is the way to go. So the demand goes for rice and the rice price picks up and vice versa. When rice trades at three times wheat, well, wheat's a better buy, so I'm going to go buy more wheat. And that's, this has been, we, we did a thousand, one thousand year price analysis between the two. Believe it or not, there's actually cash prices throughout the world that can put together a thousand a year cash price chart. This one and a half to three times ratio has been around for at least that thousand year period that we discussed. So where we are, are we now? Well, we have a, let's just say a, we have a, a $6 rate market. Let's just throw that as a nice round number. And we have a $13, uh, 13 and a half rice market. So when you, when you run that number, you know, we're at that 1.8 times. Uh, so, so rice is cheap. So rice is cheap. Right means rice is should start to outperform, especially if if wheat takes another leg up here, based upon what we just discussed. You know, there's really very little room for rice to get much cheaper, and there's a lot of room for rice to get much more expensive. So just think what happened last year when the rice market went up to 25 last June, um, and it got to that three times wheat price level, and then topped out and it came crashing back down. So so looking at this. Any further strengthening in the wheat market would be very, very bullish for the rice market. On top of it, you know, we're expecting to see at least a 20% to 25% reduction in U.S. rice acres, you know, losing to soybeans um, and, and to some extent losing to the corn. So. Yeah. 
So they're saying there could be some pretty pretty decent moves then on on what we see happening in the rice market uh, moving forward. Absolutely, and and when you look at South American rice, you know they're just starting to harvest now, and you know, that they primarily grow that in the South Brazilian area, uh, Northern Argentine area, and that's the area that's been the worst of the drought, worst of the weather, just. It's it's just, it's not going to be a good crop for a third year in a row. So everything says that the Western Hemisphere rice market, which is really what the U.S. price initially gets triggered off of, is going to get really really tight here. Um, and that's not even assuming that we have bad weather for Arkansas, for example, where they grow a ton of rice. Right. That's assuming twenty percent down, twenty percent down acres, and the and the and the yields were okay. We don't think they're going to be. We actually think they're going to be below trends. That's a that's we're not even talking about that. But yes, rice has a lot of potential here. We think the rice market, U.S. rice price, looks to be pretty attractive right here. Right. All right. So you brought up South American, what would be a moving iron podcast markets without talking about South America. So if you take a look at what's going down there, there's they're still having some issues getting crop out. Um, there's there's backups at the port, which is not un, unheard of. I mean, that's a pretty common thing. But they're still having some issues with rain and those kind of things getting uh, getting crop out of the field and those kind of things, and it's still delaying that 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 corn planting date, which we've talked about several times on here, where you were looking at pollination at the worst possible time on the planet, um, in in the the hottest part of the of the year. So I guess as you let's talk about that a little bit and what your what your thoughts on how is that going to affect what we see up here in the U.S. <clears throat> Pretty much the uh, the agronomic understanding. Is that any corn that's planted beyond um, this week in, in, in March, like anything planted next week and beyond, your yield falls off dramatically. So last time I checked, I don't think they're going to get the, the crop planted by the end of this week. <laughs> so um, any acre that's planted, and of course the further delayed you get, the, the, we're talking about potential for 20 or 25 or even 30% declines in yields, the further out you get beyond this week. So we're not going to have a top-end corn crop. It's virtually impossible. Whether it's a, it's a, it's a catastrophic crop or it's a, just a poor crop will depend upon exactly how you know, do they catch a few timely rains during the dry season in Brazil in May, which is where most of the corn is going to pollinate that late April, May time frame. Um, but no matter how you slice it and dice it, A, those supplies are going to be late arriving anyway, meaning – when we when the market would normally be getting them, they're going to be getting them 30 or 45 days later anyway, and they're going to be a much lower supply, even in the best case scenario. So there's just nothing that can come out of Brazil that's going to be good for the corn. That's that's going to be bearish for the corn market that we see. We've already we're crossing the Rubicon, we're moving beyond the point of no return to really have a good corn second corn crop, which is the crop that they export to the rest of the world. So, so the corn crops can just stay on pins and needles here, Casey. It's just going to stay on pins and needles. We're going into a drought cycle. You know, I just it's hard to see the the, 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 the the corn market giving up too much ground other than a one or two, one or two day sell-off, like we've seen from time to time, and then coming right back just there's just no way that the market's gonna be comfortable with what's going down in South America right now. Okay. So exports you brought that as my next point I was gonna bring up. Um, the US export marketplace, we're starting to see that that seasonal slowdown to some extent, but not as much as we've seen in the past, but we are seeing some seasonal slowdown. You know, China's buying as many beans out of out of Brazil as they can, um, but we're still seeing a, a fair amount of exports for this time of the year uh, getting pushed out there. As you look at the export market and what the U.S. dollar is doing, what's your thoughts there? I mean, it's it's going to get to the point sooner or later here where we're kind of the only game in town, um, and 
you know, we, we irregardless of price, if you want to buy uh, export from us, I mean, this is where it's, this is where you're gonna have to come get it at. I mean, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, we are gonna be the only game in town. I mean, we haven't we didn't talk about Argentina, but if you look at the Argentina, you know, they're experiencing some late season dryness, and if you look at the vegetative health maps, Casey, mm-hmm. big blob of ugly, nasty purple red right on top of the core corn crop area of Argentina, you know, showing that the vegetative health, and we went back, looked back 20, 30 years and found that that is one of the top five worst vegetative health ratings we've seen. So, I'm not, you know, you have to be a little careful. It's not an exact, you know, it's not a correlation, but it, it, whatever it, what it's telling you is we're not going to have a good corn crop in Argentina. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can argue what it's going to be, but it's not going to be a good corn crop. So, yeah, we are going to be the only game in town. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing is, there's two things here. We've already exported 97 or percent of what the USDA right. estimates we're going to export right. for the yeah. in August. So, so begs the question. We know there's going to be more coming, even if it's at half the rate that it was coming. We're going to be well above that. When does the USDA? We've talked about this. They can mm-hmm. hand out the last report. When does USDA go? Um, oh yeah, yeah. Exports are a whole lot higher and. Ending stocks are not 1.5 billion; they're 1.2 or something. I mean, that I don't know if they do that next week's report. Maybe they do it at the end of the month's quarterly grain stocks report. They like to hide it in the quarterly grain stocks because they can say, well, "We just can't find it. We don't know where it is." You know that sort of thing. It's in China. so they like to kind of do that sleight of hand where they can just say, "We don't know; it's residual, and, and, and we just have to adjust our numbers." That, but we had right all along, you know that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so, so putting all that together, I mean, the export market's still very bullish. We do not see exports dying off. I mean, maybe they come to calm down a little bit. But with what's going on in South America, the delay of Brazilian supplies, corn uh, demand, uh, export demand is going to remain strong. And, and uh, that means that the market needs and must have a bin buster U.S. crop. And according to our work, as you know, Ain't gonna happen. Right. So. Yeah. Well, it's that time of the year where every year is the best year ever. Report from the USDA. So that's that's where we're at. So um, ever best year ever. They've never had this. Gonna it's gonna be the best year ever. So I text Sean. I don't know when it was last week, sometime Thursday or Friday last week, I think. And I saw this uh, this this article. Where the headline was, uh, I don't forgive me. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was like. $16 corn and $25 beans and $30 wheat or some combination of that. And I'm, and I was like, uh, man, I know Sean's bullish, but I don't think he's that bullish to put out a article like that. So I texted him kind of tongue in cheek. He's like, man, it looks like you're shooting for the stars here. And obviously it wasn't Sean to put that out there, but, but, uh, we, we have talked extensively here about, um, uh, you know, what, what this grand solar minimum is going to look like, right. And what this, this coming fall and moving across the next 20 and 30 years as far as the solar radiation output of the sun goes. And, and we've talked about that. That's why that's how I met Sean to start with. So, um, so I guess our entire relationship here, Sean, we've, we've only, we've kind of orbited around the uh, grand solar minimum theme here. So talk about that a little bit right now, where we're at, kind of what you're seeing happening and, um, you know, basically what you have, Kind of how the dominoes stacking up right now, I guess is the best way to put it. Well, the dominoes are stacking up exactly as we proposed on your program. Yep. I guess it's almost two years ago now. Yep. I mean, we outlined this two years ago. We actually outlined it two years before your program 
in our reports I mean, that this was coming. I mean, this has been a forecast for us for a long time because we can see, you know, our, our algorithm, our natural weather cycle algorithm, in these cycles are very, we know what they are, and they, they, you can kind of project way out what's coming. So this La Nina, we've been warning about this La Nina of 21, 22 for a long, long time. We're in it. It's not going away. And, um, and, it's, and it's going to on launch. And, and, and this, this last, uh, this really, really cold snap that broke, shattered all-time record cold temperatures across the board in so many areas, um, is what we're going to see next year. The only difference is instead of being a couple of weeks, we think it's going to be three or four months of that kind of weather. So, so that, uh, and, and it's going to be, a, you know, this was a short and sweet winter as we had forecasted it would be. Uh, but the next winter is going to be a long winter, meaning they'll start, let's say, uh, late October, early November, and it's not going to be over until late May, like early May. Like it's, it's and, and we believe spring will not exist. It's just going to go straight to a hot summer from a, from wintertime. It's just going to go drop right into hot, dry spring, a hot, dry summer from, from a, from a, a winter, late winter ending season. So that brings with it tremendous, tremendous chaos we see for the planting season of, 2022. Think of the, the chaos we had when we had the El Nino historic flooding a few years back and we were planting corn in late June um, and had historic prevent plant, all that sort of thing. Uh, you know, we, we think we could have a planting season far worse than that because that was a problem of rain. And the rain, you know, give, give, give a week of dry weather, the rain goes away. We think we could be dealing with a situation of frozen ground, uh, on uh, you know, on uh, soil temperatures not warm enough to plant snow. You know, we're looking at for record snowfall to be had, meaning that we could have ground that's still full of snow. You know, that in in, in, in during planting time. I mean, where where you know one week isn't going to make it go away because it's not going to get warm until like mid May, and then of course it will go away. But by the time you've done that, you know, it just it just look, it looks like it looks chaotic to us. And for the and we brought you both, of course talk, talked about what it means for winter wheat. Think of what it means for winter wheat. How's winter wheat there? If it's trying to come out of dormancy, if winter lasts until, let's say, late April, early May, and we're getting late spring frosts, and we have snowpack late in the, in the, spring, in the typical spring season, I mean, how, how is the winter wheat crop going to handle that? I mean, it, it, if you remember back in that El Nino, we had that very, very late frost, spring frost, and it caused yep. all kinds of I don't know. It just looks to us like we really feel we're actually more worried about that going into a hot, dry summer again, that 22 spring, 22 summer than we are about this drought cycle. Is it the drought cycle is going to be bad? We've been here before. It's going to be. But, but, but that's not something the market is even remotely thinking about. And that's really what's going to, to me, you know, the market says, OK, we have a drought. We've had droughts before, 2012, 1988. We know how they look. And I'm not trying to minimize it, but. That what's going to happen next spring? No one has. That's not happened before that I'm aware of any time in anyone's memory, and that's just going to catch the market. That's where we think this a blow off top could happen, where you just do something crazy to the upside, like Minneapolis wheat in 08, we went to twenty five. Right. Yep. I think I don't think we ever so higher than five dollar Minneapolis wheat. Something. So so you mentioned these targets that uh, Sue Martin mentioned. She was the one on market-to-market program, and I know her very well, and she's a really smart, well-thought-of person. And I'm not saying that I agree uh, with those targets necessarily, other than uh, I did make the point in my last podcast that a Minneapolis wheat can happen in any market. 
Meaning something can happen in any individual market where it can do something unimaginable. And it wouldn't surprise me if one of the markets that Sue mentioned actually does what she indicated. I mean, we just, we go off, you know, maybe it's the KC, maybe it is the winter wheat market. Maybe it is the winter wheat market that does that. I don't know. But, but we're in an environment with this kind of weather that's unprecedented and this kind of demand and tightness of supply along with all this monetary madness going on. It is not outlandish to think that something, if you told anyone in 2005 when Minneapolis wheat was four, that it would be 25 in 2008, it, you know, they, they would absolutely fired you on the spot and said, you have no business being an analyst. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that happened. Mm -hmm. So keep an open mind. Things are going to happen, Casey, not only in the next year and a half, the next 10 years that are unthinkable in terms of what prices can do in this environment that we're in. It's really the perfect storm of monetary weather and demand. That's Because remember, post-ASF demand, I mean, post-ASF demand for feed, post-virus demand, as people get back to, you know, doing normal, I mean, look at crude oil in the mid-upper 60s now, because it's when people starting to drive again. Here in Florida, traffic is as worse as it ever was. So so this is just, just you have to keep it on mind. And, and what I really want to convey to your to the great question you, you put out there, be careful selling too much too soon too early i see so many analysts looking at 470 new crop corn and saying oh that's a great price to sell no it's not a great price to sell it's not a great price to sell you're going to be giving your new crop corn away if you sell too much doesn't mean you can't do a little of course you have to sell some but please do not oversell your forward crops um, as much you'll be making the same mistake you made selling all, to all your corn at three seventy five and three ninety when everyone said to do it. So right, yep. So <clears throat> lots of lots of things to pay attention to. Lots of things to look at. No, I, I am. I, I am waiting on pins and needles. It feels like some days to see what see what this fall looks like, just to see, just to see what happens. And, and you know, like you know, with with Doctor Zarkova, who we've done did that interview with. Um, and if you haven't listened to that, man, make sure you guys go check that out. That that pretty well lays out how the sun affects the weather that we're talking about here, and then what then what does that look like on the backside? And she did a great job of laying that out. Very 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 brilliant woman that that has. Uh, a better understanding of math than I could possibly ever grasp. So, she she has a uh, a lot of a lot of great information there. But you know, she she brought that that very point up. You know about you know hey we we get a front stage you know view of what's going to happen here for the first time in, in in really history where we can really record things in a manner that that in the last solar grand solar minimums you know whether it be the Molander or the Dalton they didn't necessarily have the instruments and the tools and the, and the way to record stuff so it, it, there's going to be some some great scientific data that's that is drawn from this for sure yeah and i and i, and I think i think we might be set up for a part three potentially yep. where we might go over some some other aspects of how the sun actually impacts temperature mm -hmm. um, how that relates to co2 and, and kind of have a little discussion about the, the, the temperature gradient and, and how all these moving pieces a little bit, a bit of a different discussion than we had before i think I think we might be ready to set that up, and that that would be another really really cool discussion that I'm definitely looking forward to if we can if we can get that uh, worked out. Yeah, so. me too, definitely. I'm the same way. So, well, good stuff, Sean. If folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what you're doing at Hackett Financial, and get maybe some of these sample reports. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors .com. We have all kinds of interviews and podcasts and sample reports and white papers that can go over what we do to see if. 
you know, how we look at the world and agriculture might be of value to your listeners. Right on. Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast, as well as movingironllc.com. You'll find the podcast, blogs, uh, all the information about the Moving Iron Summit coming up here September 17th through the 18th. So if you're a dealer and you're interested in coming to that, Make sure you go there, and you'll have all the information that you need to sign up with. Sean will be there, and he's going to give a, a nice uh, presentation about what we've been talking about here, uh, but a little more in depth. So looking forward to that. And uh, make sure you listen to the Dryland Farmer podcast. The guys out there, Brent and Landon, good friends of mine, they will definitely make you laugh throughout the day. So with that, I am Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go with some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard.